Hello and welcome to the How Do You View You podcast with your host, Griffin Stein. Today we have a special guest, Big Doug, the Uziki uh, documentary. The I never went and I never knew it. And I, 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 I'm shame on me because that's the <laughs> Richmond Museum down there on Nevin. That's the Richmond yeah. Museum. And you yeah. did a, what do we call it, that five minute um that was part of the community history video series okay. that we did for the Richmond Museum. Yeah, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. Richmond Museum. So just introduce yourself to the people and tell them what you're doing and, 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 and who you are and your uniqueness to Richmond. My name is Doug Harris, and I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm, I grew up in Berkeley, California, but I worked for many years here in Richmond, California, and I actually started my documentary uh, production career here in Richmond Mm. with a series of uh, documentaries about the rich history of North Richmond. Okay, okay. Did you... Yeah, you showed a little bit of that with the Panthers and the... Was that that or was that something else? That that was another uh, part of the video series uh, for the museum. Yeah, we did did a five-part documentary-style video series of different aspects of Richmond's history. Wow. And so, you know, it dated all the way back to uh, when California was part of Mexico. Mm. So we started there and what life was like here in, in this area, the Richmond, San Pablo area. And then we moved to the Spanish flu area, mm. which was in 1918. And I, that was the one I showed you yeah. when we first met. And the parallels were stupid. It was like exactly we was all walking around with masks. They was trying to point their finger at people. It was the same. They were locking people up to put people in jail that didn't have masks on. And so from there, we go to the shipyards and and, kind of covered some of that history. And the thing that I liked about that history was the fact that uh, Kaiser Health Industry started right here in Richmond, Kaiser Hospital. I didn't know that. And so we bring that out in that piece. And then from there, we go to the Black Panthers here in Richmond. And a lot of people don't know it, but the Black Panthers' first serious action uh, dealing with police brutality took place in North Richmond. Mm. And it caused a big stir with riots and everything like that. And that's a part of history that always gets overlooked. And Mm. we uh, we did one of the one of the videos about that history. And then we ended with uh, the uh, Starlight Studios, which was here in Richmond. And it was uh, uh, the one of the biggest recording uh, studios for artists back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, it's, it's, it's most noted for the place where Tupac Shakur did his first recording. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of great groups and other artists uh, Actually, you know, did their recordings here in Richmond, right here on this street on McDonald wow, Avenue. McDonald <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, and so it, it it was a really nice project, and then a lot of people were going to learn a lot about Richmond. You know, different time periods of, of unknown history for Richmond, yeah. and that's kind of one of the things that I do. Is I uh, my my whole interest in documentary filmmaking is is doing history. The history. Yeah, chronicling and preserving history, unknown history. That's what we you uh you met love out there at the front of the at the front desk. Yes. Yeah, she's a filmmaker. So she uh I talked to her about you uh-huh. and we was talking about the series The R- the Rich. 
mm-hmm. where we, you know, you already did the history part of it. So then we would do like drama of, you know, the first dude from down south. Uh, uh, where they come from? Alabama and, and New Orleans and everything. Uh, I guess everybody came from everywhere to work on these shipyards. Well, they, they primarily came from Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. Gotcha. Those were like the three main states where the majority of people migrated here, not only to Richmond, but also to Oakland, San Francisco. I always joke that the cities where you know our people migrated here from, when they got here, the city somehow always had a direction attached to where we had to live. Where we would be. Where we live. You know, North Richmond, East Oakland, West Oakland, South Berkeley, East Palo Alto, you know, things like that. And I I just find that interesting. But that's that's, uh, our history that, you know, one of the things I try to do is is share the history to our young people in particular because I think it's so important that young people know about their history and the things that happened and the mistakes people made so that they won't repeat them. Repeat, and if you yeah. don't know about the history of different things that happened, you know, you you're just going to repeat it and road. it's going to go yeah. around and around yeah. in circles. And so, yeah. so why, how did you start? Like, what, did, did, did your grandfather give you a, a camera or did you wake up one day and say, I need to document the world? <laughs> 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 what, what, what sparked that? Well, I remember always wanting to borrow people's camera just to film just mm. little family vacations and things like that. And I, back in the 80s, I had this, well, the 80s and early 90s, I had some kind of way where I'd always get my hands on somebody's camera for weeks at a time, mm. you know, until they needed it. And I would just start filming a lot of different stuff. And I was running a program in Berkeley and we had some surplus money in our budget and people familiar with the nonprofit sector is that it, when you when you granted money, if you don't use it, you lose it. So we had some surplus funds in our budget and I uh, put a request in to buy a high eight camera. High eight. Yeah. Oh, wait, what was this? This was this was back in the 90s. Oh, okay. And so okay. we got a high, it was about, about 93. Oh, okay. We got a high camera. And one of the things that we did was we recorded all of our program activities and all of our events in, in, in documentary type style. Mm. And then we hooked up with the local cable access station that was just starting off in Berkeley. It was called BTV. And so... Some of the staff members of our organization, along with some of our youth participants, we all took part in the training at, at Berkeley Community Media, and we got certified to use their equipment. And so we had the content. We just needed the studio yeah, yeah. And, and the airwaves, access to the airwaves to start uh, broadcasting you know, uh, different activities that, that we were doing in the community through our program, gotcha. which was Athletes United for Peace. And so we had a lot of fun with that, and that just evolved into uh, going back to graduate school and learning the real stuff, the, the, way, the yeah. digital, yeah. the digital, uh, the whole paradigm shift when when video went from analog video to digital, to digital. video. Yeah. And me and Raven, we were chopping it up before the show and talking about that, and then he 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 has a really good grip on the whole shift of how we went from analog to digital. Really great brother and great conversation yeah. I had with, yeah. with your co-producer. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it, I was, when you said that, I thought of the uh, the the Super Eight, the film, and all of these. Because uh, my my auntie, she passed away, but she gave she gave me this camera that was super big with this square front. I was like, this is a news camera. What am I, and how did you get this? And she was like, I don't know how to put the power to it because it wasn't a battery thing. I think they had, even then, I think they had battery packs or plugs. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. Now I can't find it because now I really wanted it because I just wanted to see. I don't know where I'm going to get a VHS tape from or a Super 8. I think they were like cassettes, huh? Were they cassettes? Yeah, yeah, they were, they were, they were cassette tapes, yeah. Why did you choose Richmond if, if you know, if your So are your roots in Berkeley or are you just... Yeah, I grew up in Berkeley okay. in the 1960s and 70s. Okay. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I came out, when I got out of college, I came to Richmond and I worked for the city of Richmond for 10 years with the Human Services Department and Parks and Recreation. Mm, okay. And so my background here in Richmond is that I... Uh, I worked at Parchester Village, uh, Parchester mm. Community Center. Uh, I ran the center there. I ran the center at Shields Reed in North Richmond. Oh. And I also ran the center over at East Shore, which they call oh, Booker Crescent T. Park. Anderson now. Oh, yeah. And so I, I've been all over the city of Richmond, you know, in, in my work with the city. And so uh, I'm, I'm kind of like an adopted member of the city oh, of Richmond. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. my old lady Angela lives here in Richmond, so I... I really have good, strong roots here in Richmond. Yeah, I I love Richmond. I think a lot of people love Richmond. They just don't, they either don't know it or they want a certain aspect out of it. Richmond is the perfect place. I mean, you you can get anywhere within two hours, and if you can't get there within two hours, you don't really need to be there. I mean, it's other places here that you can deal with. I I, I just like it. And I I wanted to make sure we uh, acknowledge Cobiz. We are at Cobiz. because that's where actually you had the premiere of of your uncle's film, of yeah. your film featuring your uncle, mm-hmm. and uh, the outreach was crazy. the The people loved it. Uh, I thought it was amazing that we watched a documentary in a limited audience, you know, because of the COVID. Yeah. But uh, here, here at COVID, you know, they arranged for for me to come in and bring the documentary to have a special preview before we had the virtual yeah. premiere. And we had a, a limited, with about, about 10, 12 people 10, that came. Yeah. And it, it, it was really, it was really cool because our Q and a in our post uh, screening discussion was, might've been longer than the actual <laughs> film because of the fact that everybody was so, uh, Stirred up after watching the documentary, and I, I seen you. Your partner was there uh, recording. So you that that when this becomes a DVD, that that quite that Q and A is that's gonna be just as watchable as you know the film because if if he got it because one lady went deep. Uh, the the lady that owns stuff in North Richmond, I can't remember. Yeah, her name. Annie. And oh yeah, Annie. Yeah, she Annie went King. deep, and she said, "I was born in this house. They can't move me out of this house. It's, it's just." It was a powerful thing. So hopefully he got all that footage. One of the, one of the things, another uh, uh, thing that I really liked about that event that we had here at COVID was that the CEO here, Wesley, wanted to meet with me the next day. And, 
you know, we got together and met and, and he laid out uh, what he'd like to see happen with that documentary. And man, it was phenomenal. And I had never heard of or seen anything like he mentioned. What, what, what Wesley is, is wants to work with me, what actually what we're going to work on doing is making that documentary an, interna an interactive presentation where there'll be QR codes on the screen when you're mm. looking at the documentary. And then if you hit one of the codes, it'll take you deeper into an area of the documentary to give you more information of what you asked for, yeah. Uh, of what you like, like say for instance, the the segment of the film when they're talking about the slavery with the U.S. Park Service, the brother that was from the Park Service. Yeah. There, there'll be a code on the screen, and you'll tap that code, and it'll take you to the um, National Park Service Underground Railroad project. The stuff that he was wow. talking about, it'll take you right there. Straight to it. So you can really get a feel for what they're talking about. That's a and go problem. dig deeper into. Yeah. And, and so you saw the documentary. And so look at all the different other aspects that you could do that type of uh, interactivity Doing with. Parts, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to it because, like, like I told Wesley, I had never seen that done with a documentary. And when you think about it, they all should be done that way because everything has a different thing. Because even me personally, when it, when you was talking about in the film, they were talking about the demographic of, you know, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to know what is that demographic and, and, and saw a pie chart. So if yeah. I had clicked yeah. that and yeah. it took me to the DMV, uh, whatchamacallit, I'd be like, oh, man, there's people leaving. But some of these people are coming back. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. That is a yeah. very interactive. It, it was re really creative thinking on Wesley's yeah, part. And, and, and I'm really looking forward to getting together with him and working on that. Because it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be something new and different. And that's what, I, that. that's what I like to yeah. do. Like, yeah. Because now you're on the innovative edge. Now everybody is looking for you to be. Oh, that's the QR code with the with the with the uh, extraordinary uncle. Yeah, and what Wesley said is, young people see QR codes and they they, they click on it, see they what's know. happening. Yeah. They know what is, they, they know. know what's going on with it. People yeah. my age don't, because I know I I see it and I'm be like, why is these buttons and why are these little dots? And you I got to take out my camera to do it. I I, I don't know stuff like that. But uh, that's good. It's, and it's good going to be, and, and it's going to make it a better learning experience. Not only are you going to learn information from what you see in the documentary, but you're going to even have access to learn even more At your about some of the different subject matters. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Which means it could be adopted by certain schools. And I think it should be, uh, especially stuff like making waves or charter schools where they talk about, you know, building up black people. This is something that... Just to let you know, I mean, because, you know, he was he was a genius. Oh, he is a genius, I should say. The fact that he did all of the things he did and then just said, well, you know, I'm about to start, you know, sculpting. Well, you know, I, we've been talking a lot about this film, and I think that I want to take a moment out to kind of share with the audience what the film was actually about. Yeah. Uh, my uncle is Yuziki Nelson, and he's a... He's a founding uh, professor, engineering professor at the University of District of Columbia in Washington, D.C. And the documentary is his life story. But the part of his life story uh, that we really focus on at the beginning of the film is what brought him to Washington, yeah. D.C. 
And what that was was that when Martin Luther King was assassinated uh, in 1968, there were riots all over America. And in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., they basically burnt down a good portion of the city. Uh, uh, and and uh, my uncle was called on to come to Washington, D.C. as an engineering professor to teach and help young people get them properly trained in, in, in engineering so that they can be a, a big part of the rebuilding mm. effort to rebuild Washington, D.C., you know, from the people that lived there yeah. and they create opportunities at the what was then called the Washington Technical Institution, mm. which later turned into the University of the District of Columbia, which is one of the last historically black colleges in the United States. Mm. And so that's that's a history right there yeah. in and of itself. And at, while, while at the University of the District of Columbia, my, my uncle started uh, uh, taking off with, with his career as an artist, as a sculptor. And so he has several sculptures, you know, plastered all around Washington, D.C. And what's unique about his whole situation was for people that have been to Washington, D.C., there's no Afrocentric sculptures anywhere to be found in Washington, D.C. And so my uncle figured out this way where he can adopt these little small parks, parks yeah. in, in Washington, D.C. And once he adopted them, he would control them and so that they would be places where he could erect his sculptures. And these are sculptures like 15, 17 yeah. feet. They're re really huge, gigantic sculptures. And then they're part of the actual communities that where, 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 they're, uh, where they're displayed at. And so... It, it was a real special type of story because, as you well know, Don, it, it, the story has so many different layers of his life. And we're just mentioning a few, but this was my first art film that I ever produced. Mm. So, you know, it was it was a challenge because uh, my son and I, we had to we had to drive cross country to film this documentary. Mm. But I think it turned out really well, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. I think they did enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Um, the, 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 the thing that kind of not bothered me but put me in a different kind of a mind frame was the fact that he did all of these things from 69 till really to recently. Mm -hmm. But now the white people are coming in or another group is coming in, and then they're going to wonder. Like the dude said in the thing, he said, why? There is no black people here. Why is all of these Africa? It's just a, a moment in time where they're going to snatch all those down. Just like he y'all went into the whole thing about because there are no more rebels in in in, in Atlanta, so they they getting rid of all of the General Lee stuff. That interview took place before they started taking down sculptures all over the South and Did all it? over the country. Yeah, that, that interview was done before. That whole wave hit in, mm. here in America, where they started taking Snatching down sculpture, down. Yeah. and so that was that was kind of kind of an interesting uh, thing for us to have did that interview and for him to have made that comment mm. about even happened, what yeah. what would what would it be like in Washington D.C. heading into the future with gentrification and a whole new. Uh, population of people moving to Washington D.C. and 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 the city would have all of these African, uh, you know, all these black names and 
they don't really have any black sculptures other than with the exception of my uncle. Yeah, yeah. And so, what would it be like, you know, in in a new um, in 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 a new environment? Yeah, it won't but, fit the decor. They get rid of it. I mean, I mean, it ain't no, it ain't no doubt in my mind that it, they'll just simply get rid of it. Gentrification is a serious uh, problem all over the country. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's happening here in Richmond. Yeah. And one of the things that I try to encourage young people in particular is that, you know, when 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 family generational wealth is passed down to them, you know, don't jump up and sell it and buy a Benz and, you know, six pairs of Jordans or, you know, whatever people yeah. do. But... You know, you have to stop and understand that owning property is probably the biggest and, and most important asset one could have. Yeah. And that if there by any means that you can hold on to some property versus selling it, you know, don't complain about, you know, you being gentrified. If you had property and, and you, you sold it, it away. how can you claim that you was gentrified? Because you can't, anymore. because you yeah. can't come back because you've been outpriced out of the, out of the place. You know, you can always, if you don't choose to live in the property, you can always rent it out to somebody who wants to live there. But you know, until we really get a, a clear understanding about how important uh, property ownership it is, we're, we're going to you know continue to struggle yeah. as a people. And I think that programs and people that really put that message out there are important voices that everyone needs to hear. In particular, you know, our young black brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think enough people are really, you know, talking about that to our young people. Not, no, the, not the way they should. Not the way, yeah, I was just about to say. They'll say, man, these people kicking y'all out. What y'all going to do? Yeah. What do you want us to do? We, we don't have any, what are you telling us? They don't, you would give them the information without a, a plan. And but it's hard. It's hard because, you know, in today's society, you know, it's hard enough to have a job, let alone yeah. a job that, that could pay to where you can afford rent at $2,000 a month for what? Oh, one in bedroom? One in one, yeah. Uh, two bedroom. I don't know if you can find a two bedroom apartment in the Bay Area for under two thousand dollars. <laughs> Do you know where one is at? I don't. Not, not offhand, no. Yeah, and so you know, it may come a time when young people might have to pull together. You know, uh, work with some of your friends on buying some property. I encourage people to get married and team up. You know, husband and wife. But that that seems like that's antiquated thinking in today's society. Yeah. But I know me and my wife, that was our goal when we got married. We 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 put our we we put our strategy together and said that we don't want to be living in these apartments and paying people's uh you know rent. And so we were living in Oakland at the time and we saved money up for like three or four years enough to put a down payment on our first house that we bought here in San Pablo, which mm -hmm. is right next to Richmond. And, and from from then on, you know, I've been a property owner. Since then, yeah, since, yeah, since yeah. yeah, and we talking back in 1989, 1990. Oh, yeah, because it's not just old, I mean, young people that don't know. It's, it's people now my age, I'm 47, they perpetual renters and don't know anything and don't think they can get. Hope is crazy, and the belief that you can do something 
if you don't have the belief that you can walk across the street, you won't walk across the street. It, it don't even matter the how menial the task. If you don't believe and see other people doing it, it won't happen. So how do you think that we can start getting people to even believe that well, they, they well, can do it? Well, you know, owning property isn't for everybody. I mean, you yeah. know, some people, but, but when you really look at it, like, okay, if you're paying $2,000 a month uh, for rent, you know, that $2,000 a month that you're paying for rent, you could be owning some property. But it takes sacrifice. Yes. Uh, financial sacrifices. Uh, it may take two, three, four, maybe even five years to save up enough money to put a down payment on a home. But once you, once you clear that hurdle, then, you know, you're able to it, it pay probably less than you would be paying in rent for a mortgage yes. of something that you can own and that you could pass down to your kids. And possibly get paid on yourself if you rent it out, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I I think that, you know, some people choose not to be homeowners, but those that do and that want to, there are a lot of resources and help out there that 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 that, that where people just can mentor you and guide you through the, the process. Right it's not really a difficult process. The only thing difficult, if you want to say this is difficult, is making those tough sacrifices financially to save up the money that's needed. Yeah. And then also, you know, to make sure that you have your credit together. That's the because, idea. you know, mistakes that, that, that we make in life come back to bite us in the tail <laughs> when it comes to uh, making smart financial decisions yeah. on, on what you're doing with your with your money. And Some stuff. of that can preclude you from doing it. Where you, there's no way you can do it because you well, still owe not, taxes. Not can, it will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it will. Yeah. yeah. But it's just all part of growing up and being responsible. You know? And yeah, that's then the, that's what, the problem, though. And what you want to do in life. Well, the, yeah. well, I think the problem is, is that, you know, the, the mainstream media has programmed a lot of our young people and adults into this negative uh, type of mind frame, you know, to where there's a limit of what you can do. And, you know, all you have to do is just cut on the TV and see. They'll they'll show you all these different flashy images and clothes and cars and all these different things. But then on the other hand, they're doing they're not really uh, doing anything to promote the type of lifestyles that you need to live to get so through. that you can achieve that. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, I, I don't know, it's just like a promotion of antisocial behavior that's exactly <laughs> that I is. see. And maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. No. That's what I've Well, seen. we're looking at the same TV, though. That's, oh, that, yeah. that's what I'm seeing. And, and you know, I... I I, I chose to be a media producer and a documentary filmmaker is for, for me to have an opportunity to produce and create uh, meaningful content, you know, meaningful films. Yeah. And, and because I don't see enough of that when I'm looking at the mainstream media. Gotcha. And I just want to be someone that's doing something to, you know, give people a different look of about different topics and subjects or, or people or events or things that can maybe motivate and inspire them to uh, be the best that they can be in life. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's why we do the podcast. That's why we do all of this, just pr promoting as, as healthy conversations as we can. Oh, I saw you rode in on a bike today. What kind of bike is that? 
Oh, I ride a BMW 1150RT. Okay. It's How a, long you been riding that? Well, I, that one. That bike I got maybe a couple, about a year. Okay. It's coming up on a year, but before that I was riding on a Kawasaki. 1100. 1100. Kawasaki, okay. 1100. I, ride, I, li- I like to ride motorcycles. Yeah. How long you been riding? As long as it's not raining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, <don't> <laughs> I don't ride in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> been riding 10 years, 5 years, 10? Probably about 11. 11 years? About okay. 11, 11 or 12, something like that. Yeah. I bought a bike and then did everything to get the, um, the, the license and everything, took the class and everything, rode it. Got on the freeway one time and said, this shit is ridiculous. That shit was moving so fast. I wasn't even going. I was going 60. Mm-hmm. But the way that cement was, I said, I can't die like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, drive home, parked. It ain't moved it since. So I, I always wanted to, you know, ride. And I was supposed to ride with my brother, but he he decided that he wasn't going to ride anymore. He's doing something else. So, you know. Uh, I remember I went down on my motorcycle one time. Uh, out here? Yeah, right up on Highway 80. Up, uh, this lady was in front of me, right? And she slammed on the brakes for no reason at all, right? And I locked up, right? And instead of me making a quick, sharp left-hand turn, I just tried to spin it out, and I just went down, right? And had I did jump over to the left, there was a highway patrol car coming right there, and he would have smacked me, right? Mm. And so he saw everything that happened. The highway patrolman saw everything that happened. So he 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 blocked the freeway. Then he came over and, and you know made sure that I was able to get up and get the bike up and get off to the side of the road. And he said, you know, you did the right thing in terms of just riding it out. Instead of jumping over to the other lane, because yeah. he would have killed me. Killed you. <laughs> Maybe that's what she saw. She saw the lights and thought he was after her, and then he stopped. But there wasn't no lights on. He wasn't. So she just stopped. Oh, she stopped for oh, no reason okay. at all. But you know, those things happen. But one one of the things that I, I I really picked up from that one incident when I went down on my bike on the freeway was that. I'm never going to be too close to anybody. Ever. I'm going to keep my distance. You can get mad at me cuz I don't I don't drive my motorcycle fast or anything. Yeah. I just cruise and and uh just keep a good safe distance and really, you know, look to see what kind of clearance I have on each side when I'm riding. Mm. I I'm a really safe rider. Yeah. You know, I ride like I tell people I joke. I say I ride like old Paw Paw. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just cruising. You know, I'm not trying to be flying up and down the freeway or splitting lane. That's my brother. Yo, your brother rides a bike? Yeah, he, that's what he used to. I mean, it, it was. His lanes, he like to let I, I I will purposely not get on my motorcycle until 9 30, 10 o'clock at night I know after right. traffic yeah. just because I don't want to split lanes. I, I will. You hang around and do something else instead of going out all the way yeah. to in rush hour traffic when you have to split lanes because when you're riding on the motorcycle you got to keep it moving you can't just be sitting in traffic something about overheat. overheat okay overheat because I never knew that until I took that bike course I never knew why they so why, legally, why they can't split lanes. Yeah, yeah yeah even the liquid cool ones they still have to uh, yeah you got to keep it moving yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Right? I like riding at nighttime. The later, the better, because there's no cars on the road. Yeah. 
Mm. I always meant to get up early and go, but I just never wake up on time, so I just don't. Living go. around here in the Bay Area, you get up early, and there's even more traffic yeah. in the morning. These people coming from all mm-hmm. over. So, what do you think about this whole thing with the pandemic? Uh, I mean, I work from home now. That's really the only thing, and I got to wear this mask when other, you're out in public. When I'm out in public, yeah. Other than that, I. I caught you off guard with that one. Well, no, because I, I want to answer truthfully, but I don't feel I feel like it's going to sound funny. But truthfully, I don't go out the house. I, I prefer to be in the house. I'm creating, I'm editing, I'm doing all these things. So I, this is regular life for me. I don't I don't go out. So it's like I'm not missing. I'm not missing restaurants. I'm not missing. I don't go to the movies. I vowed off movies 15, 20 years. I said, that's a that's a jip. That's what? Why would I pay for that? That experience isn't even fun to me. So I'm not really missing. I'm not really missing. And, you know, getting together with family, they still doing it. You know, it's people still getting together and doing stuff. We still go fishing and we may have separation. We may not. But I'm not really. uh, Yeah, I'm not really a social person. That's why I did this podcast, because I'm not I don't know how to talk to people in general. Mm -hmm. If we have a general if we have a good connection, I can talk to you because, you know, we respect each other. Right. But me just walking up to a stranger and saying, hey, man, I, I was gassy early this morning. It's like, man, I don't give a shit. So, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. But no, nah, this this pandemic done. I, you know what I didn't like? I just didn't like the. It showed people at their worst, like mm. 17 bags of tissue. Oh, Fuck, you yeah. need this much tissue. Oh yeah, at the early stages of it, oh, that, I, that, was, that, was, that was horrible. That hoarding stuff is is a is a base characteristic, and it really irritated me. It really irritated me, and I didn't even, you know, I ain't too much. This full disclosure, I don't even use toilet tissue because I got asteroids. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me he said Griff do not use you can't do it it'll it, it, it destroy you from the inside out so I don't even use toilet tissue so it wasn't even that kind of a thing I use wipes so it's, yeah. you know I'm just saying it, it wasn't even it didn't even hurt me it just like this is what we this is what we are and it was all type of stuff it was water water I don't know but I mean did it did it change the way you move I mean, I know it obviously, but did it really change the way you moved in the... You know, what you just expressed to me is similar to my life because as, as a filmmaker and a producer, and a big part of what I do is in the, in the editing, yeah. you know, in the editing studio, which I have at my house. But uh, the pandemic, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a hermit, you know, like... I'll go out, maybe shoot some interviews or film some different stuff, and then I come back home and I'm I'm at home editing and I'm I'm not really missing a lot no. anyway. Just like you said, I could kind of relate to what you said, but one one of the things that, that's been happening with the pandemic has forced me to really uh, take an opportunity to work on some different stuff that you know that I kind of had shelved, thinking more creatively, doing a lot of writing. Mm, you know, that's a good. It's thing. given me an opportunity to do a lot of writing, and so so I, I it, it's been a negative for everybody across the board. But I'm trying to turn it into my own positive by taking the time, not being out as much, uh, to focus on some things that that I really want to do, and 
the majority of the stuff that I do, it all evolves around writing. Yeah. You know, so. All right. Well, that's a segue. So what's up next for Doug? What's up? What's for Big Doug? What's the next project? I got I got this project that I conceptualized not not long ago uh, while while working on the uh, on the on the video series, the community history Mm -hmm. series for the Richmond Museum mixed in with uh, having this wonderful introduction to Colbiz that. I want to do a documentary film about McDonald Avenue here in Richmond. Mm. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of documentary work on different aspects of the city and North did a four part series on North Richmond. And it's just very interesting about the dynamics and the history and the current situation involving McDonald Avenue is the main thoroughfare here in Richmond and, you know, all the different businesses that once were here, you know, going way back. How how did McDonald, what is McDonald? Who was McDonald? McDonald yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 and this the street has a rich history because from a lot of the archival footage that I, that I work with in, in different projects, that this this street was popping back in the day. Yes. It was like so busy. There were movie theaters, department stores, a jewelry store. I mean, yeah. McDonald Avenue was the joint. People came from all over to do their shopping yeah, right yeah, here yeah, at McDonald. Yeah. And then this is a documentary where you could go into the uh, the origin of Hilltop Mall, mm. with, with when the malls came into society and. The, when when the malls came in into remote areas, that downtown streets were kind of like shut down. Shrunk, they yeah. they became dormant, and all these malls started springing up. And if you look at the whole evolution of all of this, right, the malls are shutting down now. Yes, they are. And so, what's going to happen to these main thoroughfares in in, in the communities with? the advent of these superpowers. I call Amazon a superpower. Mm. And the superpower just smashes all local businesses. And what are these local businesses? What's going to happen to all this property and all these businesses? You know, as more and more of them are shutting down due to the pandemic, what's going to happen to these storefronts along McDonald Avenue? And I think that would be a real interesting documentary where if you could take a take a look at one street and you know Richmond is my spot man yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, you I got, know, you. I got I love got for you. Richmond I got to got to keep Richmond in the mix but this documentary about McDonald Avenue takes you through the beginning all the way to the current current and when you look at a film like this it could connect young people because they know McDonald cuz they travel on McDonald yeah. And but it gives them an idea about the history of McDonald Avenue and what it once was to what it is now, and then even look further into what is it going to become. What could it be? What could we make it? What is Especially it going to become? Young people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What 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 are the opportunities for for young people maybe to open up a business in one of these vacant storefronts and try yeah. to get something rolling. Yeah, yeah. You know, entrepreneurial ventures that are out there, similar to this entrepreneurial venture that we're at right now, yeah. COVID. 
You know, yeah. it's a it's a prime example. And you know, the the reason why this film could really be special is because of the fact that you could take a McDonald Avenue in any city USA. Yes. And it would be them. the same story. Yeah. You know, it would be, a, if not the same exact story, but it'll be a similar story to what's going on. And I think those are the type of films, documentary films that are attractive when you can combine, you know, history along with the current. The current, yeah. When you can tie it all in together. People, it, it gives a, a better connection to viewers like that. And, it, and it's going to be an exciting project that I'm working on developing now that I'm down in, in lockdown with yeah, COVID. Yeah. I'm working to, to put this together. And I know it's going to happen because everything I do in Richmond is popping and happening. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Well, uh, you know, once you start shooting, let me know. I can do whatever you need me to do. We can, oh, I can man. edit and we can get the... Some some steals, whatever you needed me to do, just let me know. It's all gravy, yeah. all gravy. You got a crew, yeah. You got a crew. Me and Raven, we'll be at the crew. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, you know, one of the, the 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 things that I'm looking at for for this project is to for it to be a continuation of the Digital Technology Academy, and that's the program that I started back in 1999 in North Richmond. Mm. And it, and it's a program where we took a group of seven to ten uh, teenagers from the community, and we took them through a comprehensive ten week training on all aspects of production. Uh, wow! For documentary film production, mm. and this was sponsored by Contra Costa County, funded and sponsored by the county, and so. These kids, it was it was a summer media arts training program for the kids in the summertime, right? Mm. And usually summer jobs are picking up papers in the park or being a counselor for the youth camp or filing papers in somebody's office, yeah. you know, these type of jobs. Where the job for these kids was to go to the training. And once they all completed the training, then they would start working on the actual film. Wow. So it was actually a job experience for them instead of, you know, them being volunteering to do it and coming and going when they wanted mm. to. See, young people, they'll come and go on you. But if it's some money, if they on the clock for the project, they're going to be there. Yeah, because they want the money. Well, it's their job. Yeah, it's their job, yeah. yeah. You know, we have to let kids go and pick up new ones, but... Uh, we did that program for like 12 years or so. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's maybe cool. Longer. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because not only did we do it in North Richmond, but we also did it in Bay Point, which used to be called West Pittsburgh. Yeah. So, you know, that that's kind of like my background is training young people and getting them, you know, geared up for, for, for careers in media or filmmaking, whatever one. But just giving them something positive to do because – you probably know as well as I do, these young people, they don't have programs for them anymore. And the few that they do, they flood them, and then they, it's, it's only a certain amount of people that can get it. So, yeah, they don't have enough They don't have enough resources. Yeah, but they have a lot of young kids in high school here in, in the West County District that are interested in, in, uh, in media production. And the only thing I try to do is be, you know, a mentor or a coach for them to teach them, you know, what I know, yeah. and bring them along, along, along with. But that's huge, else. though. I mean, the yeah. the fact that you're willing to do it is bigger than you know. You you're not just sitting here saying, "Well, y'all youngsters ain't doing nothing." You like, well, look, 
fuck with me and I can help you learn this, this, and this. It's just how many people going to avail themselves of these services. And that's what COVID I, is. I never had an idea that I would ever be involved with anything like that. It mm. was just something, uh, an opportunity that was uh, presented to me. And I put the program together mm. and it, it took off. I mean, I never would have imagined that I would have a, a crew of teenagers and that we would be doing documentaries that would be winning awards. And getting recognized by the the, the Congress, the government. Wow. I mean, it's, it's been incredible, and I, I I see this McDonald Avenue project to be a continuation. And we even talked about that when we first met yeah. about maybe doing the training. And what better place to do training for a project like that than right here on, on McDonald Avenue in here. a place that's. Just got everything hooked up. Yeah. So, you know, and and like we discussed, that's that's what my vision is on on the next project. I got a couple of other things that I'm actually working on right now, but uh, that's a project that I'm developing right now. now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm developing that That's cool. Final thought you want to give to the people or uh, something that you need people to know about either your work or just a word of wisdom. To help them get through their, their well, rest first, of this year. first of all, I want I want to thank you, you know, for turning me on to COVID. Oh yeah, no problem. You no know, because I had no idea of what this place was. It was raining. We just got through with the shoot, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to show you the material. Yeah. Look at it, and you say, "Well, come on, let's go run over here." And I'm like, "Okay, whatever." I thought we was gonna go sit in the car. Oh in my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, you said let's go over to COVID. COVID yeah. is what's COVID? Yeah. And then we came in here, and I was like, "Oh my." God, <laughs> this place is off the chain. And I, was 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 Wesley here that day? Wesley was here because yeah, Wesley we, took us on a tour. And t- yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's why I said, Wesley let me take, take you on, on a tour. tour. Yeah, you yeah. introduced me to Wesley. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, I guess in closing, uh, I, I'm just trying to keep things moving and, and create opportunities to, to keep doing what I do in terms of, you know, making documentaries. I, it's my passion. It's my calling. Wow, and I'm just happy to do it. For anybody that's watching, they could look uh, look me up, uh, do a Google search, and you can see all yep. kind of different stuff. And then my website, yeah. my website is DougHarrisMedia.com. Yeah, DougHarrisMedia.com is my website, and yeah, a lot of stuff on there. You could just if you search on YouTube, that uh, all the stuff will pop up. What will pop up if they is what's 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 public on there? Everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So search uh, Doug on YouTube. On YouTube. Okay. Doug Harris. Yeah. Doug Harris on on YouTube, and you'll see. Is you is you? uh, Why I keep saying this wrong? Oh, Uziki. They can watch the whole Uziki film. Okay. Uziki. Yeah. yeah. So go see Uziki. The film is called right here. The the film is called Uziki, Washington D.C.'s ancestral sculptor. That's the name of the movie. Long title. Type that in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. It's uh, a must-see document. It is. It is. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I I thought we was going to be showing it every month here. I thought that's what we was Uziki documentary is a, is, is a YouTube documentary because the majority of documentaries that I produce are on PBS or NBC Sports or Fox Sports, you yeah. know, different commercial networks. But Uziki 
the, the, the mainstream they ain't ready for Yuziki, so that's a YouTube. That's thing. a YouTube. Yeah. But it's a great film. I think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I know so. Because they may I know how it made me feel, so I know that it other people will feel the same way. But uh Yeah, learn a lot. They'll learn a lot. They will learn, especially once it become interactive. Uh um I think so too. But I appreciate you for showing up and uh this is the How Do You View You show. Um anything you need, we at the Dark Network, we you need a commercial shot, let us know. We do whatever you need to do. Or we can be the second hand on whatever you need to do. Oh, yeah, we know we're going to hook up. For oh, sure. yeah, for we sure. We're going to hook up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to hook up. This has been How Do You View You with your host, Griffin Stein, with the special guest, Big Doug Harris. Uh, check him out. Uh, we supporting everybody. Richmond is on the rise. Um, you see him in the street, holler at him. Uh, handshake them and tell them that you've seen Yuziki. All right. Base.